Hi, Matt. Glad to be back here again and uh, just a little bit to, uh, to start the ball rolling. Uh, as you know, I'm uh, Managing Director of Deep Yellow. It's a uh, advanced explorer developer country uh, company, mainly only in uranium and, uh, and at this stage only in Africa, specifically in Namibia. And, uh, and I've, we've been working uh, since uh, five years and have really been hugely successful uh, developing uh, one project to increase the resource by four times. Looks like it's going to be a 30, 30 year plus deposit uh, out there. And, uh, and, and we are now uh, exploring our second, which will give us a, would you believe, a pipeline in country uh, where we'll have uh, an option. So it's done very well. Uh, the country we're in is, is I believe, uh, ideal for what we need and for the times. And, uh, and that's, that's deep yellow. John, good to see you. It's been a while. I haven't seen you since September. Uh, a lot has changed in the world. A lot has changed in the world. But um, I'm, we're going to talk today in a roundabout way about deep yellow, but we're going to talk about Africa because I'm hearing Africa's uninvestable, John. Well, I, I often I often hear about that, and uh, and when you when you when you look at uh, what's happening and and what's happening in Africa, what's happening in other countries, that uh, you know there, there's so much upside in Africa. I think um, in particular commodities, it's really shown that it's uh, it's uh, competing extremely well against other countries and I think it's an untapped uh, region. Uh, I think the attitudes are right. Uh, there's countries that some are better, some are worse, but it's a, it's a, it's a great continent to be in and, uh, and I, would, I would dispute that, that uh, uh, saying. It's only for the unthinking, I think, that, that uh, say off the top of their head, oh, well, this is, this is no good. And, uh, and, uh, and away uh, they go to whatever their favourite uh, sort of bandwagon is. Yeah, I mean, the, the, where, that, where that comes from, I think there's a sort of debate between, you know, North American uh, uranium equities versus African uranium equities. Obviously, the North Americans, well, certainly Canada benefits from much, much higher grades, um, which I think the proposition being, being told there is that that makes them much better investments, right? Whereas... African plays much, much lower grade. So again, for the uninitiated, what, 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 do you, what would you say to that? So what I would say is that uh, grade, uh, yes, uh, people say, oh, that's uh, grade is king and, and all of that. But I don't think it's only, only that. And uh, I had a great meeting once with, uh, with the Cameco chief and uh, came up to Langer Heinrich and, and he says, I, I can't work out how you guys working a 600 ppm deposit have made this into a tier one group a tier one project operation and here's us dealing in 10 percent uh, uh pitch blend and all of our people are frightened to take anything less and and yet you know there are opportunities that are the same even though it's 10 percent um uh, grade that's still costing about 15 to 20 cent, uh, 20 dollars a pound to produce. Uh, our our sort of 600 ppm is costing about 27 dollars. So there's not an order of magnitude difference in terms of uh, operating costs as what the grade would suggest. So then, what becomes more important is uh, you know how 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 can you realise the dream of an operation? 
how, how supportive countries are. So I don't think grade is the only issue. And, and I, look, I will say it only this way for uranium. During the last uranium boom, which was the China-inspired boom in which Paladin uh, developed what it did, in terms of conventional deposits in that, in that boom time, only Africa developed two modern uranium conventional mines. And, uh, and, and basically uh, uh, the US sat on its haunches with existing uh, uh, known ISR deposits and out of, out of, uh, out of um, Canada, it was only the development of Cigar Lake uh, which happened and nothing else happened. So all of the juniors there that had deposits could not convert them into operations, whereas in Africa you could. There's no way a, mid, a mid-sized uh, uh, company in, in uh, Canada will make a mining operation and all they can do is hang on the skirts of Aranos and Cameco's and go on their conveyor belt, apart from next gen, you know, which is, uh, which is a real standalone type project. So already Africa is showing a difference and a separation in terms of opportunity that, that no, other, no other country has shown in the uranium sector. So if, if I, if I um, think about that, that, that conversation that, that I hear a lot, which is, you know, high grade is, you know, grade is king, um, Maybe you should, we should liken it to, I guess, you know, gold, where there, you know there are large bulk gold, so low grade bulk projects like like Equinox, two and a half billion dollar company. So I think that that's probably the way to, to think about it. But let, let's let's move into the kind of the, the country component of that argument, which is like it's just difficult to do business in Africa. Um, you know, we, we've we've heard that, you know we've seen headlines like oh they're AK forty seven countries. Uh, we've seen you know com- conversations like um, they don't want a, you know um, international inward investment in the countries. They there's black empowerment. There's all sorts of problems which you know c- companies like yourselves have to come up against, uh, and you got to work out how, how you deal with that. I. I think we're dealing in, in terms of in Namibia and, and I would suggest uh, uh, quite a few other countries that we know the platform we're dealing with. We know, we know the, the, how, how keen the governments are for development. They understand if you've got a mining economy, you need to invest in exploration, new deposits, and they become your future mines. And that's the only way you're going to, to have a, a, a sustainable industry. So when you when you have a com- country that is in, in let's say since yeah, two thousand, which is now nearly twenty years, uh, twenty five years uh, of uranium production, and it's essentially had a fairly stable uh, environment in terms of royalties, in terms of uh, BEE, and if there, and there is some some acknowledgement that there has to be uh, a, a bit of a sharing, like it is in Northern Africa. Uh, it's you know five, ten, ten percent pay your way. Um, that that is not a a for me a detriment in the modern era, and it, and it certainly is a, a a responsibility no more so than the Inuits in uh, in Canada and where where they are demanding some share if they you know with their with their sort of First Nation rights or whatever it might be. So in terms of regulation. In terms of uh, um, the uh, 
uh, a clarity of the of the of the working scene in terms of a really uh, clear environmental uh, sort of footpath that we have. Um, the Namibia can match it with 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 any other country. Uh, in fact, better. And and the whole thing is is that you can do something in a shorter time frame without compromising uh, uh, the the regulatory environment. And there's many many uh, utilities, for instance, that want product out of Africa for diversity of supply. And uh, and and because there's there's you know when you look at um, uh, Canada. Um, the the amount of uranium is just coming from a few orifices, and uh, and one of those has to shut down, and you've got a supply issue. So you need you know uh, in, in somewhere else. So you've got Kazakhstan, of course, Kazakhstan. The whole picture of you know the, the security of supply it changes a little bit. It's it's still probably okay, but it it means that Africa is an integral part of the supply security of, 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 of nu- for nuclear that, um, that, that has to be uh, sort of uh, acknowledged. And on that side, uh, Namibia and uh, Niger as being the, one of the, the two mining, uranium mining uh, countries uh, in historical sense, uh, are very important uh, uh, sort of strategically and will be supported by, um, by consumers. Supply. Let's talk about supply because it's really interesting dynamic at the moment because I think we say on our, on our weekly energy show, we talk about the uranium supply demand fundamentals a lot and um, what, what people do. We certain position for us is we need all of the above, right? We need all of the above. So North American, African, you know, Kazakh, we need all of the above. So it's not a competition between each other, guys. Um, it's, it's we need all of the above. It's a question of the sequencing in terms of what which projects come online first. Right. And it feels to me, feels to me like the, the African place will come online sooner because they're one significant advance in terms of the uh, study process, but they don't have these long licensing issues and permitting issues that we're sort of seeing in, in North America. Well, hopefully they will come online, but it ain't going to come, happen anytime soon. So is that, is that, is that reading correct? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and it's and it and it happens uh, because you know there's a there's a clarity in these countries that they that they need they need their economies to to move and they're thinking uh, not in the sort of fat cat sort of Western world way. Uh, oh yeah, we can we can afford to delay this. We, there's regulations there, and it goes into the. I think absolutely you need regulation, but everybody knows that it goes into absurdities. And those absurdities, which are, by the way, going to affect uh, nickel supply, copper supply, uh, lith- you name it, this is not peculiar to, to uranium. And if anything is going to uh, sort of damage supply, it's going to be the regulatory uh, framework apart from the geopolitical issues that, that, that come out. And, um, and Africa, those countries that... That have got their act together, that that understand and appreciate, match any other country hit for hit, and are better, and uh, so much better that I believe taking a uh, a uranium operation in a in an arid country, environmentally, 
is a hundred times better and and more effective than uh, uh, mining uh, operations uh, underwater, which is what Canada is uh, in terms of the difficulties, the technical difficulties. You know, the the you know how do you, how do you uh, in, a, in a subaqueous environment have tailings, dams, and all of this? Yes, you can do it, but it takes it takes a huge amount more expensive. And then people don't put those expenses up against, yes, it's better grade, but there are other overheads there that you need to take into account. That, that, that most of these people that are, that are pushing the, the, um, the Athabasca theme haven't got a bloody clue uh, which, is the, which is the operator, which is the ones that are going to come in next. Where is the one, Where are the ones that have come in of all of the dozens and dozens of companies how is that going to express in a uranium mine that is not tethered to Cameco or Arano and using their infrastructures? And, and so there are difficulties in what, what a uranium company and what you are investing in will achieve and what it will become. And, yes, you'll get a big payout and all of those big, you know, the big sort of buyouts that used to happen in the halcyon days when Rio bought whatever it was, Rough Rider or whatever, they're gone now. They, you know, the big companies aren't, aren't in that sort of mood anymore and they're not much around. And so basically you've got to either stand alone and it depends what the investor wants or the management and the boards want, you know, to be a producer and to grow and to be part of a, 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 a highly rewarding ongoing uh, company to your shareholders is what I believe. You know, what I want. Some of the others, they might want it. You know, you know, hump and pump and get it up there and off you go. And oh, are they going to produce anything? Oh, who cares? Let it move on. And and that's a different type of investment strategy. It's a different game. That 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 that, that is that is a different game. And you know, some people like to play that, and and, and that's that's down to them. Um, I think yes. I just want to stick with fundamentals. I want to, I want to understand the companies that are actually going to get into production. It's it's it. it Reduce the risk component for, for us it's, it's, of trying to work out how to time that game. Um, so just just on this, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, so you mentioned Kazakhstan there, and obviously we, we've got the kind of Ukraine-Russia situation at the moment, and it looks like we saw an announcement this morning about Russia doing a deal with uh, China to uh, ship their gas east. Uh, that could be uh, interesting, interesting for Europe, perhaps dependent on it at the moment. Do you think we would or could expect to see Russia put uh, pressure on Kazatom Prom in Kazakhstan and ship their uranium east? Well, it, it could. I mean, already um, uh, Kazatom Prom is sort of sitting there as a hub for China and a hub for in, partially for India and, uh, and, 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 and Russia. Uh, essentially, you know, one could say, you know, how sycophantic um, uh, Kazakhstan Kazakhstan is to Russia is, you know, debatable. You can, you can make up your own mind on that and who's pulling their strings. But uh, the, the, you know, Kazakhstan, you know, will start providing uh, uh, probably more product uh, to, to, to China. Um, but I think even, even those countries will, will require some diversity. And, of course, America. I mean, you know, there's a lot, lot of stuff going through to, to particularly in the enriched uh, category, and it's not just the yellow cake and how that. So there's a, a big reshuffle 
of this uh, of this game and how how long term this will be will be something that that will be watched by many many interested parties. But that there is a there is a a happening uh, here in early days, and how that will mean that there will be um, diversity, real diversity in terms of investing in other other areas to re recalibrate the diversity. For instance, Europe must the utilities must get from diversified sources, and it's do, it's it's defined by percentages. So they need twenty percent from this. Uh, region and 20% from there, and they, they 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 protect their supply, and uh, and that's how well thought out nuclear is. Unlike gas, where they all bloody well sat on the gravy train and thinking, oh, all this Russian gas coming through, and uh, and 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 they've now landed in a situation where there's there's huge huge turmoil in terms of you know getting things to some sort of stable form, which probably will take five ten years. And, and one never one never knows. Africa again, with all of its uh, little supposed problems, becomes insignificant. Those problems to to supply. I was saying to somebody that the security of energy marginalises even climate change. That's how important it is. That's how governments survive by security of, of, of energy, the sources and all of these. And, uh, and, and you've got a, a 50, 60-year uh, climate change problem or you've got, I've got to survive my bloody government in, uh, in three years and it's energy and that's where I'm going to get voted out as my lift stops halfway up and I can't get out of it and all of these sort of things. So they're the, they're the exciting things that are happening. Actually, that's a really that's a really interesting thought about you know energy security marginalising climate change. I mean, you know, I think Greta Thunberg's gone a bit quiet recently, don't you, John? Um, but it, it's a really big issue, certainly here in Europe. I don't know what's happening uh, over there in in, in Australia, um, but we're we're certainly seeing prices at rise across the board, and, and and obviously the recent events will, well, I guess the knock on effects will will will, will uh, be evident soon enough. But th- this this brings into question some of the other things which. Or not just on energy, but across the board more broadly, we've seen COVID driving costs up. We will see this this energy situation with with Russia driving costs up, which which, which is I guess obvious. But the other thing it's going to do is make people think just that little bit harder about jurisdictional risk, which comes back to something. I want to bring it back to the Africa component, right? In terms of, um, again, commentary about, you know, being able to do business in Africa, the jurisdictional risk um, is obviously of a concern enough that people are talking about it. But what's the reality on the ground? I mean, how long have you been working in Africa for a start? Let's start with that. So basically uh, since uh, 2002, and, and in fact, before that, uh, since 1980s, late 80s, and um, and look with Paladin, we were the only ones of the of the uranium miners uh, in the in the in the junior categories that built new mines and got them going, got them to, to their to their uh, um, design uh, sort of rates uh, in in tough old Africa. In two countries and one country which never had uh, uranium mining, uh, any mining uh, history 
uh, and we had to sort of uh, you know, teach them along the way and, uh, and how this could be done, which is now the Lotus uh, uh, asset they have. And, but tell me where, where else that could have happened. And we are clear evidence of the, of the, the investability in Africa. And you'll find such things happen in gold, in, in lithium, in copper, right throughout. And it's yet to, it's yet to happen even more because it is the, you know, it's, it's, it's opening up. Yes, there is some noise. Yes, you know, in some countries there's some civil unrest, but it is not like what people think. And once you go out to these countries, they are quite workable. Some of them not. I'm not saying they aren't, but there's a, it's a mosaic out there and uh, 55 countries or whatever, and you can say, right, 40, 30 of those countries are workable. And, but Africa is so full of fortune that those 30 countries that are workable offer potential far greater than what exists in countries that have been mined for one, one century or two centuries. So it's everything comes uh, uh, to itself. So Africa is is a great uh, uh, country, and and there there is there is no other uranium uh, uh, group that can say, oh look, I've done well with a producer out of um, out of um, out of uh, North America. Um, I'm talking about Canada. And the Lidlies the in, uh, in, in, in the US are a different story. Uh, they're more delicatessen style uh, little producers and you need corner stores everywhere. Uh, but the bigger, the bigger ones, they're going to come out of, you know, the sort of the Canadas and the, and the Africas, uh, no, no question. And, uh, and of course, Kazakhstan. I mean, this interesting point you raised with guys, you know, the, the US projects are, in terms of their ability or, you know, what, what they're telling the market their ability to produce is, they're, they're, they're kind of smaller numbers for sure, but they do really get the valuations, don't they? I mean, wh why, do, why do you think that is? You look at the market cap compared to some, some of the, you know, Namibian place, it's, it's stunning, really. And, and I'm sure there's, there's good uh, sort of, uh, Sort of finance people around, and they can just add up and say, "Oh, look! If I had a a project that was going to develop, you know, eight hundred thousand pounds a year, and my market cap is a billion dollars, what price do I have to have per pound uranium to make my market my my market cap be, you know, and the NPV to be anything new? I'm, I'm talking eighty, ninety dollars pound." So it's quite easy to sort of work these things out, and uh, just on on a, on a back of an envelope to say this is hype or this is value against uh, uh, project value, and that the there is a marry up between market cap and uh, and uh, an outcome at a certain uranium price. So when they then start saying, "Oh, I'm going to do it at forty dollars or fifty five, forty five dollars." And um, they're sort of talking about what's doable, but not talking about what is accretive to their market cap, and uh, and and how 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 that value is going to be maintained. And um, so so these 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 valuations that are that are that are occurring, um, I think they 
they create their own monster in a way. It's great to have a, a company with a high market cap, but you've got to deliver on it as well, unless you're part of the people that will offload and leave that responsibility to other people. And, uh, and, and they're, they're the areas. It's all well and good, um, you know, analysts uh, driving, making recommendations and all of those sort of things, which, which is sort of seems to be done in North America a bit more than uh, elsewhere. That's why I think the Australian stocks are, are more realistically valued, if you like, and, uh, and you, can do a, you can do a comparison. You just have to do a statistical analysis on it. And, uh, and, and if you say, oh, if, if, if the North American uh, market valuation is the norm, well, then you say huge, there's huge accretive value in Australian stocks because they will get to them because in the end they're selling the same product. But um, so, yes, there is these regional uh, type uh, differentiation and, and maybe a little bit uh, on, um, uh, uh, in Africa. But um, global atomics is, is is valuing well. It's 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 it's, it's, it's in Africa, and uh, and it's sort of you know people can say oh yeah well okay that's one of them. Um, I think for the for the uh, level of development we're at, I think it's that's doing it's, it's doing well. Um, I, I want to get you know to to where our, I think our market valuation is going to be, but I I, I need to get projects. And line up where that that can be seen as a true uh, sort of uh, reality and sustainability and reward. So yes, the uh, talk, 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 and talk, I think in this. So, sorry, John. Just want to just just talk to me. Talk to me about um, price discovery because um, I think you have said to me in the past that we'll, we'll, the, the, the real movement in price will be 2023, 2024, as of the trade yeah. bodies. Right? They, they've, they've said that. However. You're definitely wrong because Twitter, the Twitter world says it's going to be a lot sooner than that, and it's going to be 200, 200 bucks by the end of last year, you know, end of this year, you know, whatever kind of tickles the fancy. And even a few CEOs been caught out by calling, you know, eighty hundred dollar um, uranium by the end of last year, and it, it's 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 kind of like a fool, fool's game in a way, in, in, trying trying to guess the price um, of of uranium. And I think lots we've had lots of conversations, lots of industry experts. The last three years on your end, it's a toughie. But has your mind changed? Are you seeing anything different with regards to um, timing? Because it's been some pretty spectacular um, events or catalysts, I think the market like to call it, since we first started talking. Yeah. So, so no, I I haven't actually. I, I've seen some darn good indicators that are going to uh, reinforce the belief that uranium will will go to where it's going in late this year, mid next year. And, uh, and you, you, you've had a, and all of these things that everybody's sort of preempting too soon, uh, not that they're not important, but it doesn't just happen there. It, you know, maybe, maybe uh, this, this Russian move and what, is, what it's doing uh, will have will have uh, uh, an effect. I, I believe this uh, jump in uranium equities uh, that is happening now. I, I I think in about a month's time you'll find it easing back again, because what is happening is is that with all of this, you're still having uh, the utilities in some sort of torpor. You know they're not really uh, reacting, and they're trying to be clever. They're trying to still exploit uh, the the producer by 
putting clever dick little contracts in and saying, oh, yeah, we'll give you a bit of this and half a bit of that and all of this. And they missed the whole point that you're looking down the barrel of, of, of shortage and you're looking down the barrel of you've got to secure relationships with, cut, you know, with producers that will, will put your, you know, your reactor on a long-term supply. So that's, that takes quite a while for the, the spud sort of tickling at the, at, at, at down at the bottom and, uh, and, and picking up uh, stock and driving it from a, uh, from a market that's only probably 5% of the total market of uranium. And, uh, and, and what they're trying to do is catalyse the other 90% and how that's going to, you know, uh, be, be bought. And that's where the real money is. So, and you're finding that, and I've said before, that um, until these, when these ETFs or whatever they're called, uh, when they stop buying, the price comes down. And that means that the, 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 the true sort of impact of what, uh, what people like Spud are trying to do hasn't yet hit, the, hasn't hit these people. They're still complacent. They still think and believe in some sort of fairy tale uh, that, that, you know, all of these juniors are saying, oh, I'm going to bring in 7 million pounds. Well, where's the Berkeleys that said that they were going to do that? Where's the uh, Greenlands that said they were going to do something? And, you know, where's the plateau uranium that said they were going to do something and now they're in lithium? I'm not being critical here. I'm just saying these things are, are sort of realities. And, and the, um, and, but what, what the promises are, what can be delivered. What the reality is, is what can be delivered, which even the Cameco's and the Orano's are trying to tell people, look, it's a tough game, boys, and uh, you can't sort of promise cheap CapEx, cheap this, and then deliver all these things, and, and historically none of them have done it. So there, that's where the, the, the consumer is still believing a little bit, uh, the, the, the hype, and, and they, they have yet to sort of come back in unison and say, look, I'm going to do what I believe. I think there is a shortage coming up post-2024 and by gum, I'm going to lock in uranium for that, for that period to 2030 and I believe what my consensus is. I'm not listening to UXC and I'm not listening to these people that are sort of trying to ride the pony with, uh, from two sides, one foot on each saddle. And, um, and that's when the price, that's when the, the true energy in the supply market will happen. And that will happen then when these people realise that and they're going to say, by gum, who are going to be the builders? Where are they going to be the builders? Where I need it sooner than 2030. Oh, hell, Africa's a good place. I can get it from there. And security of supply in energy overrides everything. And that's where I think uh, um, there's got to be a context to, to all of the all of the considerations and it's not just a, a single a single answer to say oh yeah it was the it was the war that did it and sometimes a war can do it um, but then looking back but this that all of these things count in terms of how how the the, the, the rope is tightening and everything is uh, is uh, 
uh, coming to that eventuality. I think I think it's interesting what you say that you know the the effects spurt has had emotionally in the marketplace. We saw all equities and sorry, your own equities had a uh, a bump, um, you know, back when it was like August, September-ish. Um, and, th- and they've all kind of come off, uh, a- a- again, because, you know, SPUT can operate and raise money under certain circumstances and they'll, they have been buying in the market, but as, as a percentage of what, what's out there, it's, it's, you know, it's more than has gone before, but it's, it's not enough to move the dial. And that does seem to, the, the price does seem to come off when SPUT's not buying. And I, but the, the interesting thing, well, you, you, I think you nailed it because you say, you look at all of these individual moments that people had great expectations on. This is going to move the market, you know, whether it's section 232, um, Russian security agreement. We've got, you know, split coming in. We've now got maybe the, the, the possibility of, of Russia influencing what Kazatomprom does or doesn't do. Um, you know, and we're all, we, we all hope and wish that these moments will be the deciding moment which drives the stock price up. Um, you know, if you look on social media, it's, it's full of it. It's full of it. Always, always has been hoping that they can buck the market realities. They can buck the numbers. So you, you feel that it'll be kind of, it'll be, it'll be all of these things cumulatively, which will, which will do a job and, and work its way through. But you're still holding fast on 2023, 2024. Uh, so you, so you said end of this year, potentially a beginning of, uh, sorry, into next year, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that feels that feels a, a bit that, more and real. And that means, yeah, and you, that means Namibia can deliver product by late twenty four, uh, early twenty five. Tell me any other country on a conventional mine that can deliver three million to four million pound per annum in that time frame, where you've got everything right, all of your ducks are in a row, and all you're waiting for is incentive pricing. And uh, and and away. And and yes, there are other issues now. Supply chain issues. You know where where capex is going, and uh, and you know, factories aren't working, and you know all of that uh, are going to put another dimension on um, on on supply, and which will really exacerbate supply issues. So. You, you, you've got that. You've got Vattenfall that announced uh, uh, three days ago that they've stopped uh, st- uh, purchasing out of Af- out of uh, uh, Russia, and now they got to look at supply elsewhere. You've got uh, the famous famous Germans who have been, uh, you know, going non this non that, and, uh, and all of a sudden, as of yesterday. The the uh, one of the uh, uh, guys over there, he was the actual the economics minister, saying we are looking at everything, and we are looking at even delaying um, uh, 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 shutdown of the nuclear reactors uh, to beyond 2030. Well, hallelujah! And uh, and and now they've realised that you know their their sort of uh, gas thing is is out of change. These are sort of all going to add on to the pile. Uh, of, of how things are going to go and where, where they're going to uh, do and how they'll translate uh, and 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 presumably the zero emission uh, um, uh, goals are still there although they've been sort of put on the side at the moment let's focus on what's uh, you know, what's happening um, but they they will be there you know uh, cob 27 whatever it'll be will come in and they're going to promise everything and then they'll be disappointed because nobody, you know, not everybody was signed. I'm not being cynical. I think climate, you know, 
responsibilities is, is important, but it's important as well that you can't just survive on that mechanics and not have electricity or security of where you're going. We're in an energy crisis. There's no question about it at every level. It's made and it's tortured even more by, uh, by global sort of uh, uh, climate change and all these wokey uh, 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 sort of uh, investors say, oh, no, no, we're going to bloody not invest in fossil fuel and not in this and that. So what happens is the, the SOs of the world, the BPs and the shells are too gutless to, to invest and find new oil fields and you're going to have big vacuums because they're investing today on what they have to invest in 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 post 2050, when they when the when the, the projections and the and these uh, these uh, wokey uh, uh, institutions allow them to say, well, we've got to have some. We agree that there's got to be some oil, but what happens between now and then? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think some real there's some real issues out there. I think the other the other thing the Germans have uh, announced is the fact that they're going to um, extend the the date for the closure of the um, coal. Uh, power stations, coal power yes. stations, Bec- and and it's and it's sort of interesting. You know, you, you mentioned earlier on about the kind of the ESG um, kind of component to all, all all of this, and I did want to come back to it. But you know, so Germany's now saying we're going to continue to use coal uh, because we need to solve a problem today. This is the same government that has been telling China, India, and, and, and others to shut their coal power. Uh, coal-fired power stations down because it didn't suit their needs. As in, we in the West don't like um, coal, uh, therefore you must shut yours down. But when it suits them or when needs must, uh, we're going to just extend our own situation because this vacuum, this 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 kind of vacuum between where we are today and what we've got in place today, re- renewables, if that's the way forward, or renewable. Um, you know, we, we can't just suddenly go and build additional reactors um, overnight. It doesn't happen like that. Um, and there's got to be a transfer of of of, of energy. Um, for, as you say, maybe yeah, it's a ten, it's a ten year, fifteen year um, time frame before migrating over. So yeah, I think Germany's been been quite unrealistic, uh, I suspect. But the Russia Nord Stream two not coming through and Nord Stream one possibly being switched off. Energy security, I agree with you, hundred percent, a real big deal. Can I, can I just because I'm just conscious of your time, um, John? Is you, you mentioned ESG, and you, 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 I know you weren't being disdainful of it in, in itself because you, you 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 went on to explain how you operate in country and what you need to do. Are you disdainful of the badge or the rebadging of what? Companies have always had to do if you want to operate successfully in country. A, this whether whether you want to call it greenwashing or, or what. I mean, what, what what do you feel? Or what do you see when you're speaking to funds or investors more broadly on that topic? So basically, uh, what what is uh, sort of happening? And and I I, I don't mind ESG at all. I mean, uh, being in 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 the sort of uranium business, we we've had to uphold some of those ESG values way before. Uh, they became uh, fashionable because of stakeholder issues, sensitivities, and the whole industry built around how you try to, you know, uh, support and, and, and get things where most other uh, commodities didn't have these worries, so they just uh, ploughed on in traditional uh, ground. So the ESG side and those responsibilities 
are, 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 are clear. What is, what is the difficulty and where I think that there needs to be genuine debate is the, the way in which you transition and the way in which a, a society goes into the fifth or sixth industrial revolution that's going to be probably more dramatic than all the others and how you don't, can't change in five years, as some people expect. And, uh, and so that there, there is some latitude necessary uh, in how, how investments are allowed, which is it's actually coming to that. And so nobody can invest in, in coal, and it's probably many others, or, or oil, and, uh, and yet there is an interim need to invest in that to make sure there's sufficient supply of, 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 of material that will be needed absolutely while we're going from A to B, wherever that is in the time frame. And that's the only reason I'm a little bit uh, uh, sort of um, not sceptical in the sense that it won't create the results it's needed and, and, and it's aggravating in the sense that it's, uh, it's, it's stopping people. They think, oh, just because I stop something, the need for it stops. Well, that's not the case. You can only look at, you know, thermal coal. And if there's not sort of embarrassment on people's faces in terms of thermal coal and where that is at now, and it's not just a 2020 phenomenon, 2022 phenomenon, winter Europe issue, it'll happen again the next year because this is fundamentally, structurally built into the problem of the whole uh, supply, the whole technology transfer from uh, technology A to make electricity to technology B. And, and, and all of this is you know, to say, well, look, the, the low-density renewable uh, electricity that goes into the market is not a powerful technology that it can plough in huge amounts of kilowatts into the system as nuclear can do and even gas or coal. And so you've got a, you've got a problem that uh, people are too eager and the most eager ones are bloody politicians who think they can just satisfy, you know, uh, the, the, the weakest link in the chain and say, oh, no, no, we're going to do it by the end of whatever year. And it's not possible. It's a blatant lie. So, and that's where you confuse. Uh, you know, what is needed and to be as strong on the ultimate end of what you're trying to achieve in terms of mission and management and, and, uh, and a mission management isn't, uh, yeah, you might need a bit of sort of, uh, you know, a, an electric prod to, to, to kick you into, you know, starting to be responsible like that, but not by eliminating investment at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a stage where, some companies now will make fortunes out of coal because they'll continue with those assets. They won't develop any new assets because they, they can't, but they're going to make more and more and more money for their shareholders because that product is going to get more expensive as, it's, as it gets short. It's not going to be they're going to stop uh, producing electricity with coal, uh, without coal. It will happen. And um, so the, they're, they're really, they don't fit the the practicality of, of how you move from A to B. Um, and and that's, where I, I, that's where I think the debate should be, not whether you should invest today and, oh, this is, this is I, want, I want it for my grandchild, blah-dee, 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 blah. -dee, blah, -dee, blah.
And um, like she said, well, I, I can say as many bloody blahs from my side as she can say, a 15-year-old can say from her side. Well, I think I think I think I think that's true. With the, with the, with the price of energy uh, as it's been going all globally, right? It, it has been increasing. And we 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 talked um, obviously, you know, China announced was it you know four or five months ago the investment of four hundred billion bucks to build another forty five or so reactors in in China, but it's still not enough. We talk about it in one of our shows called oh. Undesirables with uh, Fergus Cullen, and you're saying that the coal powered fire stations are going to be required for at least another twenty possibly 30 years in China. They're not going away, it's just as well. So nuclear is will will obviously help significantly, but it's it's some of these older technologies are going to have to be used for some considerable time. Otherwise people are going to be paying 10 times the amount for their energy and that is gets to the point where it's prohibitive. It's it's unrealistic um, as well. So I, I, again, just I keep saying I promise I'm going to end this conversation, this this interview. But I'm, I'm, I love the the topics. Is when are you at all nervous about the where all the, this is going in terms of activist investors and the way the fund managers are sort of rebranding ESG, you know, as a critical component to investing in projects? When you see what's happening in uh, Canada with regards to permitting. First Nation issues. We've seen what's happening down in South America. You know, we've 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 had um, projects taken back by Mexican governments. You've seen you know Chile, Peru, Ecuador. These politicians talking a good a good game about hiking up uh, royalties and taxes on uh, foreign direct investment into country uh, for the producers. You know, it, it it's it's just all feels disconnected with the realities of, as you say, the metals that we need to. Secure our future, whether it be you know for energy or EV or or, or, or other things. Um, do you think they're kind of going to get in the way of themselves if they if they keep talking? Well, about yeah, that? they do. But uh, but I think that you know that you get these sort of movements, and and for me, all I look at it is uh, they 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 make supply shortage. That's what they do. They if you if you damage the industry, you don't get the investment. There's less copper produced, and uh, and 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 whatever. There is always people say, you know, how do you cut this cake? Is it got to be a share of, you know, forty-eight percent to government, fifty-two percent to 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 the the company, or how much on the margin is 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 the fair is the fair deal? And those 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 arguments will, will happen. But I think that um, when you look at, uh, I think the biggest security that we have in Namibia, to tell you the truth, is to have big brothers like two two big operations owned by the Chinese, hey, how about that? And who's gonna who's gonna tickle their bloody testicles? Nobody. And uh, so, in a way, that in an ironical way, that adds stability. You know what I mean? Because there is a big investment there. Uh, these 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 groups are, are investing in other things in in, in countries. So. The, the, there's a buffer there, if you like, that means that, um, you know, taxes, nationalisation, which is not even thought about, uh, and all of those sort of things are, are a little bit less free than they would be normally in, uh, in, you know, in Chile. I don't know. But uh, I feel very comfortable where things are in, uh, in Namibia. I feel very comfortable... Uh, you know, even even Niger, where this country has been tortured with civil unrest, 
and there's still an industry operating. It's bloody remarkable. When I was in Vietnam, I couldn't work out how Michelin rubber plantation was working while we were bloody well there doing our, our, our fun and game. I couldn't work it out. Then I realised that the mission, that the plant, plant uh, the owner was selling uh, product to two, to two sides and they were, they were safe as houses. Nobody actually touched them. So they're, they're, you know, the, these coexisting things are very strange and people can't understand it at the first instance, uh, how, how they happen, how, what, what it means uh, to survive without, without any, uh, like your guy on the pipeline, you know. All of a sudden somebody's taken their tax out of the pipeline and, and, and things, things survive and it's sustainable. So Africa is good. Um, the, uh, uh, even Niger, you've got all of these, these, these uh, hassles. There's uh, mining operations going on there. There's a new one about to start or, you know, hoping to start. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I believe they'll, they'll, they'll meet their target. Yeah, I, I, sure. I, I think it's, it's funny you say that. So I think also during the in, in the seventies, the 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 Israeli uh, the war in Lebanon, basically, yes. Um, yes. both sides agreed that there should be no fighting anywhere near the vineyards, and I think that's a very <laughs> civil thing to have agreed. <laughs> Everyone was the winner. What I mean. Yeah. It's a rationality. Yeah. Look, John, I better wrap it up there. I've taken so much of your time. Um, as always, truly fascinating, truly entertaining, brilliant insights. A few big takeaways there for me. I'm, I'm really going to dig down on some of those. Um, look, maybe come back on and tell us how things are uh, get, getting going on, uh, getting on at uh, Deep Yellow. Obviously, with the with the um, DFS, like it is, I think you're looking to move move move, move um, the, the the other projects along too. Um, so, look, we'll we'll uh, reach out to you and perhaps uh, organise for you to come back on. Appreciate your time. I'd love to. Thanks very much, man. Cheers, man.